Welcome to another episode of Bakari Sellers Podcast. Today, we're going to have a real interesting and dope conversation about some brothers who are doing stuff in, in parts of the world that sometimes we don't pay attention to, but we want to peel back the onion and get to it. I got two amazing, dope brothers, Larry Urell and Lincoln Stevens. What's going on, man? How y'all feeling? Feeling good. Feeling great. Lincoln, you got that sweater on looking uh, debonair, as they say. How you feeling, man? Yeah, it's it's but it's good because it's starting to get cool, and so I always like you know getting the getting the layers on. <laughs> That's right. So look, we usually start our episodes, and the unique thing about our show on the Ringer that people kind of tune into is at least the first part, because we have our guests walk us through the arc of their career. Uh, Larry and Lincoln, you you're both co-founders of the Marcus Graham Project. First, tell us what is the Marcus Graham Project, and second. How did you end up here, the arc of your career? What was the inspiration that led you all to be where you are? Larry, I'll start with you. I, I'll say, well, what is the Marcus Graham Project? Um, we're, we're a nonprofit organization that was born out of necessity. Um, uh, for Lincoln and I both started our careers early in the 2000s, um, kind of fulfilling a dream of ours to become uh, the next Marcus Graham, if you will, if, uh, if you're familiar with the, the movie Boomerang, uh, Eddie Murphy's character in that movie, uh, his name was Marcus Graham. And, and for a lot of us, particularly those of us who are kind of in our age bracket, um, that was our introduction into the world of marketing and advertising. And uh, while uh, Eddie Murphy's um, uh, character from a personal standpoint might be a little outdated for our culture, um, I think what he represented and, and, and what we saw in that time was something that was very different from what we had seen uh, on screen anywhere else, right? It was a black owned agency, um, all black, you know, creatives doing incredibly cool things. Um, and for a lot of us, you know, you don't understand that this is the world of marketing advertising where, uh, you know, a client or a brand goes to an agency and says, hey, please create something cool for me. You just think, oh, Gatorade has a commercial or Nike has a commercial. And so that exposed us to, um, really exposed, you know, thousands of us to, what would be our bread and butter for a long time. Um, but, you know, like many things, you, you have dreams, you go to college, you, you know, you get, get yourself in the industry and you somewhat of a letdown in terms of like just being exposed to other individuals. You're saying, hey, I want to be here at this level, uh, but I'm in an agency and I'm the only one that looks like me. So um, how in the world am I going to get to to the Marcus Graham uh, of, of, of the epitome of what I want to be in this industry. And so MGP was just created uh, out of necessity to, to connect individuals like myself and Lincoln at that time to um, people who had already, who had already established themselves and um, could not help us navigate through that. And so at first it was just a network of about 1500 individuals uh, for black men. And then out of that was like, Hey, you guys got this network, you got this, this sort of social capital here. Why don't we use that capital to do something um, to expose other individuals, bring them in, train them, find, you know, agencies that always use those words that we hear so often. I'd love to hire somebody like you. I just don't know where to go. Um, well, okay, well, we know where to go. Uh, we've got, you know, a, a Rolodex of, of talent um, and, and they've gone through programs like ours that show that they know and are capable of performing. Um, I'll let Lincoln, if you want to expand on it a little bit, I'm sure you have yeah, Lincoln, Lincoln, with your background, tell people how you ended up here. Um, what what led you to, uh, as you all so eloquently call it, MGP or the Marcus Graham Project? 
Yeah, I mean, I think that there's a few different things that that led up to that. One thing that I couldn't uh, not include in that story is mentorship mm-hmm. uh, and and mentorship and brotherhood, and then the mentorship that you often find in brotherhood, right? And so it's uh, you know I think about even in 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 that film, uh, one of our fraternity brothers, my chapter brother, my first mentor, Jonathan Hicks, being being in that film. And though his role was small, it brought a film that I've watched for a, a long time um, to a more personal, to a more personal level. And I and I think about the type of brotherhood that that individual uh, had. <clears throat> He's now passed, but he had that really showed like we have to do this for ourselves. And so like when Larry and I started this, uh, first of all, we started this after we had actually started having another whole nother company and throwing parties too, like right out of right out of college. Um, but it was a brotherhood. There were things, you know, him going, you know, to to Morehouse as y'all as y- y'all did, and me going to University of Missouri, just sharing ideas, sharing ideas on hey, we're still seeing similar things in different spaces, but how do we learn from each other and, and build uh, with the level of trust that you one should have uh, in, in, in brotherhood and with friendship and, and, and mentorship. Uh, but when we think about, <clears throat> you know, how do you, you know, how does one get here? It's also like God just giving you a vision <laughs> of, uh, that, supersedes anything that you could even imagine right like when we think about like we knew we, we knew absolutely that we needed to start something like this because we saw an expect as larry said you know we first started and we focused around black uh, uh men as our first group in our, in our training program but that was because we were one percent uh of the population of workers in, in the advertising and marketing field, right? Uh, and we, as we look at how you look at data and how the our representation matters, you know, here we are today, and seventy six percent of Black people and sixty two percent of Hispanics are going to be shut out or underprepared for eighty six percent of the jobs in the U.S. by uh, twenty forty five, which is what twenty two years from now or 23 years from now, um, the, the, the fire that we had to start something to answer a problem now is even more compelling because at this point in time, we're talking about the erasure of people of color from the job market, which means our kids and which means, you know, you know, Larry, Larry's my, my son's godfather. I don't need Montgomery necessarily going and say, Uncle Larry, I can't, I don't have, I ain't got a job because I have no skills. So what do Let I do? Let me ask you this question. Let me ask you this question, Lincoln. If someone asks you, what is the link? What, what is the uh, Marcus Graham project? What do you say? What, what's the, what's the very tangible ideal? What's the elevator from, you know, first floor to third floor? It's a workforce development focused on building the next generation of leaders in the advertising media marketing space. Point blank period. Which brings me to my next question, Larry, and I'll let you tackle this one. And it's going to be a dumb question here, but, you know, some people who listen are contrarian and some people may not necessarily 
uh, you know, see the world the same way we do, to put it politely. But why is it important to have diverse leadership in marketing and advertising and public relations? And how does the Marcus Graham project create that pipeline? Yeah, you asked specifically about leadership. And the reason why is because leadership determines not where we're at, not where we're at, but where we're going, right? Um, and so if you remember what Lincoln just said about the landscape of the workforce by the year 2045, uh, if we already see that the trends are telling us where we're going is shutting us out, then leadership is the only solution to leading us out of that, right? To, to, to directing us into a space that makes that a different stat come 20 years from now. Um, I mean, we, we know, we've heard it, I mean, especially the last two, three years, you know, representation, inclusivity, and all these other, you know, hot button terms. Um, but at the end of the day, it's, it's about giving us and ourselves, giving ourselves an opportunity, um, you know, to change the face, right? And if, we, and if we cannot change the face, then we've got to create an entirely new landscape that mm -hmm. makes it accessible um, to us for us. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it you can work out in it. You can go outside, you can go shopping down in your local wherever and you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viore.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, Restrictions all apply. See website for details. So, you know, one of the things that we like to talk about so people can actually touch it and see it is, you know, legends and who we want to be and emulate and representation. So who were some of the legends um, whose names people may not have heard of who helped pave the way for Black folks in this particular space? Because Marcus Graham is fictional, but Don Coleman, for example, is real. Who are these folks who paved the way in this space? And shout out to Kelly Coleman, the homie. She's gonna be. <laughs> I got it. I couldn't mention Don without mentioning Kelly Coleman, who's gonna be turning up this weekend. I, that's all I'm gonna say. Go ahead. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think one of those individuals that that comes immediately to mind is is a gentleman who's one of our founding board members, and that's the late uh, William Bill Sharp, uh, and he created the first program to address uh, training uh, African Americans in in this business, you know, um, decades ago. Um, and uh, it, it, it was in Chicago. And um, if you're familiar with Burrell Communications, Tom Burrell is his cousin. Um, there were individuals 
in Chicago, like Don Richards, um, that was one of the first, you know, black vice presidents of uh, Leo Burnett, huge uh, agency globally, but uh, certainly in Chicago at that time, Carol H. Williams, you know, a woman that uh, owned uh, the, the largest independently owned uh, black woman owned agency, you know, came out of these are some of these individuals came out of programs like Mr. Sharp created, mm-hmm. right? So I think, you know, lastly, legends, when I think about legends, those are people that pave ways for other people's opportunities by, you know, doing something greater than seeing their own careers uh, ascend. They wanted to make sure that those others that came uh, after them and were alongside of them, that they ascended as well. Well, let me ask this question, because this is just from the outside looking in, but hasn't the marketing industry done a better job than others in making sure that we're at the table? I think of brands like McDonald's, Coca-Cola, the blue chip companies seem to spend on us. Is that an accurate assessment or am I just flat out wrong? I mean, I've been wrong many times over. I don't know. Like, I I mean, compared to what? Right. I mean, I I I think that there are some of these companies that have spent more money and invested because they recognize the power of our, of our consumerism. Right. Um, Now, whether that goes into the community uh, directly rather than just going into a media spend to get people buy more things, you know, I don't know. So like, I mean, are they using, I guess the question is, it seems as if, or the perception is that they are using us, to help monetize and to help woo that spend that you talk about, that buying power. Is that the case or are they using others? I think that's a misconception for sure. Um, you know, I, I, there you, you named a couple of, of organizations, brands that I think are doing good work. But I, but I think when you look at the total overall landscape, right, you know, how many of these organizations are, you know, let's, let's look at their supplier diversity books, right? Well, how, how are they hiring black owned agencies, um, you know, black companies to help them, uh, you know, reach their goals, right? Um, how are we, how are we, as Lincoln said, how, you know, yeah, we're spending, they're spending money uh, to help us spend more money on their products, um, but are they spending money with us? And that's, that's a whole different conversation. Yeah, I mean, and, and you mentioned more organization. I mean, like McDonald's, for instance, uh, we've done some work with McDonald's uh in this in this past year and one of the things that i think we failed to remember when we talk about corporations uh oftentimes in a general sense is 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 we don't humanize it so there 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 are people inside of these organizations you know inside mcdonald's that we've worked with that that are absolutely doing the work not only in their job but doing the work personally um to to look at how some of these systems change um, but let's also be real and not talking about McDonald's, but just corporate America in general. There are a lot of systems that are not set up for small businesses to be able to play fairly and be able to, you know, enjoy some of that fruit in general. And as as we all know, and it's always said, you know, white America catches the cold, we catch, you know, pneumonia. So if I'm a if I'm a black owned small business or a black woman owned small business and I don't have the access to capital, mm-hmm. then then that's even more challenging than just being um, small in general. So there are some people, uh, organizations like McDonald's, like uh, General Motors that are changing some of their internal 
policies and procurement policies to make it easier for organizations like ours as a small nonprofit or a small business to be able to compete and participate in a way that we're also not being their bank while they're supporting us, right? Because that that's so often um, the case uh, uh, in, 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 in this setting. You know, one of the things you brought up, I'll skip down to it, but uh, talk about some of your marquee partnerships like McDonald's and the NBA. How did they come about and how did you grow this network of investors and validators for the work that you're doing? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think uh, yeah, I'll talk a little bit about the NBA partnership, but uh, uh, it really, I can say, you know, a, a lot of our partnerships come from, you know, a lot of grind and grit and back and forth. Um, uh, in our NBA partnership, I think is one is probably one of our most organic partnerships that we've had over our 15 years. Um, you know, we developed a good relationship with the Cleveland Cavaliers about eight years ago through one of our other very organic partnerships with um, Moet Hennessy. Uh, and uh, developed a, a sort of a pipeline of talent going through the Cavaliers organization over the last seven years. And out of that came an introduction really to uh, the NBA foundation, um, NBA front office, and, and really uh, their desire um, after, uh, you know, the incidents with George Floyd to, to um, you know, really put their money where their mouth is, you know, putting money into organizations and businesses that are in black communities. And we were one of the first grant recipients uh, of the NBA Foundation grant. And it really kind of um, jump-started one of our programs, our sports marketing workshop that we do with now 11 uh, NBA teams. It's been uh, probably one of our most fruitful uh, programs, uh, just from the standpoint of, I mean, NBA is sexy, right? For 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 a young twenty to twenty five year old, you know, they see you know one of these teams on one of our social media posts, and and it becomes a very attractive opportunity for them. But what they find inside of our program is not just the connection to the NBA, but it's a connection to a network of individuals, right? That can now help them foster opportunities as they matriculate through their career. Yeah, and, and you know, one of the things that that you were saying though like it's the it's the grit and grind of getting down to the specifics of the partnership but one of the things that i think is has been beautiful and been a blessing is that i can't think of very many of our major partners over the last decade that did not come to us McDonald's mm. came to us uh, General Motors came to us. The MBA Foundation, yes, because of a relationship, came to us. Uh, and, and so that's been a blessing. That doesn't happen a lot for nonprofits or businesses for you to have, you know, the type of organic growth that someone reaches out to you to say, hey, we want, we want a partner. And so the, the grit is really making sure that we do a service to our community with the stewardship that we've been given by having that type of access. Right. And so making sure that we really have conversations with them to say, hey, OK, we're, we're going to do that, but we're not doing this over here. <laughs> um, and I think that's uh, that's important because we certainly don't just represent ourselves as these two individuals. We represent hundreds of alumni and and, and others that, you know, we we you know, have a responsibility towards. I mean, I, 
I want both of you all to answer this. I know one one of you all went to an HBCU, the other went to an SEC school, uh, the other Columbia. You said Missouri, right? <laughs> What's your relationship with HBCUs and your boot camps? And somebody listening, how can they connect their HBCU? Like for me, South Carolina State and folks in my backyard who want to do this type of work with the Marcus Graham project. Yeah. Um, it's always a highlight um, of ours and a sort of a, um, a key um, goal of ours to have HBCU representation in all of our programming. Um, and so we've had a number of different conversations with specific HBCUs on some of the programs that we've, we've been able to, uh, to bring forth. But, um, you know, even more so, a lot of the partners that we have and clients that we um, that are part of our programming, they want to have that connection to those HBCUs as well. So they're looking for the talent. Um, and oftentimes it's just a matter of a, of a good conversation. I'd, I'd say uh, for in South Carolina, we, we don't have a presence there yet. But, you know, Bukari, if you want to make a connection for us, brother, I'd be happy to pull something together in the in the CAC. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it's kind of wild. You remember the Wells Fargo CEO about two, three years ago said that he he just couldn't find any black talent. And, you know, yeah. all of us were just like, what? What? <laughs> like, what are you, like, what are you talking about? You, yeah. you find that. And tell folks, I mean, I, I know you're about to chip in probably on that answer too, Lincoln, but tell folks, what are these boot camps that you all do? Yeah, I mean, so I'll talk about that, but I, I do want to go back. I think that there is a there is a reality like, hey, why are you why are we not able? Why are you saying that you can't find this talent? Uh, but I have to go back even like to the, that statistic that I talked about before. It's other statistics and data. There's not as many people. There's not as many Americans, period, in a, in a lot of different roles. I mean, we we are at a talent crisis, particularly across the digital ecosystem period in the country, right? And so there's not, you know, if you ask me, Bukhari, like I need to hire like a full creative team and I need a thousand people. I don't know that I can immediately give you a thousand resumes for what you need, particularly if, it, if your interest is in cybersecurity and this and that and the, the more niche and specific. I don't, I, don't, I don't know the answer to that. So there has to be more. And as it relates to not just HBCUs, um, but all uh, higher education, we have to do a better job at our, uh, as community members and as leaders of organizations, as media uh, uh, executives of voices and holding them accountable to change how we do education. And so when I think about how we do our boot camp, it is out of a need that uh, of what schools are not doing. You know, individuals come out of our program and say, I've learned more in this week or this four days or a few days and I did throughout college period. I mean, that's the trick though. Everybody will tell you, you, you mature and learn and grow in college. You know, there's no substitute for that, but you don't like, you don't learn how to practice law in law school. Yeah. You don't learn like, how to work. You don't know how to work yeah. <laughs> unless yeah, you're going yeah. to a trade school. You don't learn how to work. Right. Yeah. I mean, if it, you know, but there, but there are some professions that you learn how to do it because you have to have a professional certificate, right? For ours, that changes. I mean, the advances that are happening based in medicine, largely based around research or science or technology, they're great. But at the end of the day, the human body is the human body, right? 
it's not changing as rapidly as this digital ecosystem mm-hmm. that, you know, by the time, from the time that we started this conversation, by the time we get off, something just changed that someone else is going to have to learn how to do, right? That's how quickly it's happening. So in, in careers that we service, we have to teach them how to work while also learning how quickly the, 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 the world is changing. And to innovate themselves, right? To also be a part of that change, yeah. right? You're learning how to work, the speed at which the industry is changing. And also, oh yeah, I have to be a part of that innovation. Otherwise I become obsolete, you know? This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, You're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA, I make calls, I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it, you can work out in it, you can go outside, you can go shopping down in your local wherever, and you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com, Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. You know, that, that leads me naturally into it's a great transition into my next question before I, I wrap up with you guys and ask the most important question. But the next question is, how much has social media changed the perception of your industry? There are a lot of people who think they can do what you all do and what people do in marketing and all they need is an IG account, right? Mm-hmm. Does IG and TikTok make your job harder or has this helped create a generation of content creators that you can help mold through the Marcus Graham project? You really thought about these questions, didn't you? Man, I try to be good at my job. <laughs> I know. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I mean, it's surprising coming from that Columbia, you know? <laughs> uh, we have to, I'm going to just, everybody just freeze so he get off the call. He think we like, <laughs> <laughs> what, what's funny is that was actually one of my number one school choices uh, that, that I wanted to go uh, go to. So I have a lot of respect for, uh, for University of South Carolina. Um, but like, it's, I, 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 yeah, I think some people being content creators in those spaces, it has made it easier. I think the things that are the disruptors are Canva and Fiverr, right? Where, know, tell me what those are. So like, whereas you need to hire a graphic designer to create a presentation deck, you can go uh, and, and agencies uh, 
um, and companies like ours will charge you a certain hefty amount to do it because we got kids to pay. You can go on and, and get some of the same type of work, maybe not with all the strategy, done for 200 bucks. You know, uh, on Canva, you can create these things yourselves. I mean, the, the woman, uh, the woman uh, who's in her mid thirties that created Canva, uh, she got turned down by a whole bunch of banks and now she's created a platform that's worth over $25 billion, right? Because she saw a need to create something where people can go on and create their own marketing materials, create their own posts. You so know I think how bad Larry would have been in college if he could just go in and create his own party <laughs> flyers like that, man. No, no <laughs> actually, I have thought about that. <laughs> it's been too easy. Dream Team would have been in there just cranking stuff out. <laughs> easy, right. man. But those are the things that are those are the things that are disruptive, and so I think uh, finding more ways for us to differentiate how you utilize those things, and I think a lot of it is the strategy behind it. There are a lot of people that can go on and create something because they have an idea for their business or their party or whatever, but some things just require much more strategy and access to data and information than, than others do. And so those companies that provide that are going to still excel. Are and I guess along the same lines, this is my, my, my last question before my most important question, but uh, are we seeing the way that companies interact with consumers um, different from your perspective? And what I mean by that is, for example, the news, you just, I don't know if you just saw, I believe it was CBS or NBC just hired an entire team of content creators because they're now be delivering the news on TikTok. We've seen, you know, the, the shift of my network at CNN because of the fact that you know, there's an older group of Americans and that is the only real group that consumes their news from watching the cable news. Everybody else gets it from TikTok or IG or Twitter. And how are people who graduate college, how are we adjusting to that? Because it's not the traditional framework. Yeah, I, th I think we're still a bit uh, reactionary in terms of how, how the industry responds to some of the data, right? Um, and we're not preparing for, you know, what the data says the industry is, or, or the, the market is going to be. Um, like your, your comment about, um, you know, about CNN, I, th I think, uh, and, and not that they're, not that their spend is not warranted, right. Or, or that shift is not warranted, but if we're thinking about, you know, uh, the, the younger consumer at this point, right. They are, they are breathing in their information, um, at a clip that's well beyond what you know our seniors are are doing right are, are coming. and uh, they're yes they're using these platforms like TikTok and Instagram and etc. Um, but where they're where they're receiving that information is still different, right? And so it, it would behoove it would behoove organizations like you know some of these big players in media to um, not necessarily, not necessarily, not necessarily shift uh, where the spend is, but figure out how to communicate a bit more effectively and speak the language of the individuals that are now consuming. My, my younger brother and sister, uh, who are my, my sisters at Clark Atlanta, just don't ask how that happened, but <laughs> my, my sister's a freshman at Clark Atlanta. Look, she knows more about the, that's happening in the news than I do. Oh, no question. Yeah, but my daughter be asking me stuff and I'm in the news. I'm like, what? All kind of stuff. But <laughs> I ain't seen her watch CNN not one day in her life, you know? 
but she's uh, but she understands and has all this information coming to her at a faster pace than I do. And so what 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 those uh, media outlets have to do is speed up to them. Right. It's not it's not about, you know, I mean, I'm great that they're hiring more more people and gives us an opportunity to get some more people in the industry. But right. They've got to speak their, their language um, at the pace at which they want to be talked to. Yeah. <clears throat> Last question for you guys, the most important question. How can people support you? And by support you, kind of piggybacking on our last conversation, not following you on social media, you can add that if you want to. But how can corporate types like Boeing, who may listen to this, uh, who may listen to this show, how can they invest in your organization and expand its reach? By making actual investment and making it multi-year. Uh, uh, anytime you invest in something, it's not, it's something Larry said, that I have now officially stolen uh, uh, in 2020, you know, when we're doing a lot of interviews, he said, you know, um, people look at our work and they think that, you know, they look at it and it's like offering when it really should be tied, tied to something you owe. And so, you know, even though we're a nonprofit, we're not a charity case. We are a, a business solution, and you invest in business solutions uh, accordingly, and you and you do so uh, multi-year. You do so uh, with time and talent from senior executives, and you don't and you don't treat it like you know some little pet project, right? It's it's it, it's important. So uh, I think in, investment, donations, board support, those types of things are the are, are the ways that really advance our work forward. With that, um, the Marcus Graham Project, Larry Lincoln, I appreciate you brothers for doing some work, educating me on a, doing some research, preparing for this show. I, I, my eyes were opened up to a whole new, you know, stream of information and, and where we need to improve and do better. So I appreciate that. And thank y'all for joining the Bakari Sellers Podcast. Appreciate you, man. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.